All right, you can open your Bibles to Luke chapter 11, please. Luke 11. I appreciate you praying for this Columbia trip. No small undertaking. Also, keep in prayer. I didn't announce it just because there's a, it's, it's been taken care of within the YBC group. But let me also ask you to pray. We have a YBC camp happening next week. It's starting Friday, Brother Garrett. Is that right? Friday, the camp starts for the kids? All right, so just keep the, the young ones in prayer as well as they go off to this youth camp. And that's, uh, this will be the second time we've done it as a church, and the kids really enjoyed that. Last year, I'm sure they will again this time. I've been working on my Spanish just a little bit, getting ready for the trip to Colombia. Um, back in the day, before I got saved, I worked at a Burger King as a manager in Texas. So if you know Texas is on the border of Mexico, there are, there are a lot of Mexicans in that town where I worked. So I was able to function in the restaurant in Spanish. And, and I used to be able to take orders and, and uh, like at the register and then talk with the staff. 80% of the staff was all Mexican and only spoke Spanish. So I kind of had to learn it a little bit. But I, I have to brush up. I'm, gonna, I'm sure some of it will come back to my memory as soon as I get there. I know no hablo español. I don't speak Spanish, right? You know, that's one of the first things you learn when you get to a new place is I don't speak your language. No hablo español. And then there's also a very important phrase, donde está el baño? Very important. Donde está el baño? Where is the bathroom? <laughs> you you got to know certain things when you get to a land, especially Colombia. I think it's important. So I've been warned by a few people, stay away from the cartels, as if I'm looking for them. <laughs> but thank you for that advice. I will be mindful of that. Who knows? Luke chapter 11 and we're going to just read two verses and then have a word of prayer. Luke 11 and verse 27. Luke 11 and verse 27. The Bible says here, And it came to pass, as he spake these things, a certain woman of the company lifted up her voice and said unto him, Blessed is the womb that bare thee and the paps which thou hast sucked. But he, this being Jesus, but he said, yea, rather, blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. For a few minutes today, I'd like to preach to you about this topic, the most blessed thing you can do. The most blessed thing that you can do. Please join me in a word of prayer. Father, we've already prayed a few times this morning, but we approach you one more time and ask that you please now anoint Bless and use this message. Fill me with your spirit and help all of us, Lord, to be sensitive to what the Holy Spirit is saying to us as individuals, to us as a church. Thank you. Father, thank you for the great blessing of having the Word of God, hearing the Word of God, and then trying to heed the Word of God. Help us to, today, God, to let these seeds sink deep into the ground of our heart. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In verse number 27... Jesus is in the middle of teaching, and a lady lifts up her voice and tries to help, I believe. I don't think she has any evil intentions in what she says. Blessed is the womb that bare thee and the paps which thou hast sucked. I, I think there's two possibilities for how we can understand this lady's saying. Perhaps she is what we call venerating Mary. That is to say we should give Mary some elevated honor and some people would even take it to the point of worshiping Mary. 
I don't know if any of you are familiar with the Catholic faith. I grew up as a Roman Catholic, and it is very common in the Catholic Church to pray to Mary. I was taught uh, there's a special prayer in the Catholic Church called the Hail Mary. And uh, the last half of that prayer, the first half of that prayer comes from the Bible. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. That's from Luke chapter 1. The second half of that prayer says, Holy Mary. Not true. Mother of God. Not true. Pray for us sinners. Not true. Now and at the hour of our death, amen. Mary, Mary's not praying for anybody. In the Catholic faith, they call her a mediatrix. Mediatrix, which is to say she stands between you and God. That she can actually bring you to God. And to be very detailed about that, the way it was explained to me when I was young, is that we cannot talk to Jesus. He is too angry at us because of our sins. So we must approach Mary and we take our request to her. She can then go to Jesus, calm him down, and say, Jesus, please take this request to the Father. And that's how you get prayers answered. So many a Saturday I spent at the Catholic Church, you have to pay a quarter or a dollar. Depends on how big your prayer request is. You'd put that amount of money into the offering plate. And then you could kneel before a statue of Mary. And you could light a candle. And then you could pray and your prayers would go up in that way. That's how I was taught. And some, when they read verse 27, they think that this lady is trying to elevate Mary to that type of position to say, listen, we should give her this great and elevated honor. Perhaps, perhaps she did think something elevated of Mary. Perhaps. Uh, let's, let's be honest about this. Mary was used in a great way. I mean, to say that Mary is a special and unique character in the Bible, can anybody deny that? I mean, regardless of what other religions do with Mary and how they perhaps over-elevate her, let's at least amen the point that she was a special and unique person in the Bible. No one else in the history of the universe will ever be able to say, I gave birth to the Lord, the Christ, the Savior. No one will ever be able to have that unique privilege. The other way that this lady might have intended for this to come across is simply to say that, Jesus, you've made your mama proud, right? You've made your mama proud. If you read this story in line with the other gospels, the other parallel accounts, you actually find out that Mary is standing outside of the building, the house where Jesus is teaching. Mary and, and Jesus' brothers are out there. And they're about to knock and come in. So there's a high probability that this lady was aware that Mary was nearby. And she's simply complimenting Jesus, actually, by saying, your mama must be so blessed to have a son like you. And, and I actually think that's probably more what she meant. Either way, guys, either way you take that, here's what Jesus does in verse 28. But he said, yea, rather... Yea, rather. Two parts to this. Yes, but instead. So he, Jesus does not deny that Mary is blessed. Jesus does not deny that Mary is special. Yes, that's true. She has a unique position in the history of the world. However, there's something even more blessed. And, and I, maybe I, be, I should be careful to say even more I think Jesus is redirecting the focus of the crowd. Rather than focusing on Mary and that once-off special event of bringing the Savior into the world through her, her, her womb, 
Yea, rather. Yes, that's true, but let's rather focus on this. You know who's blessed? The word blessed means fortunate or well-off, happy. He says, you want to know who's blessed? They that hear the word of God and keep it. Jesus redirects the focus to say, if you have access to the word of God, you're already blessed. And if you keep it, that's doubly blessed. They that hear the word of God and keep it. So let's focus on that. If God perhaps uses you in a special and unique way to do something that maybe he doesn't do through everybody else, praise the Lord, much like he did with Mary. That is a a blessing. You're fortunate. But there's more to life than just a once-off thing that God might do with you. We're going to talk more about how Mary carried through and followed through on her spiritual walk. But let's also be careful of this. Some people have it in their heads that just because you are connected to some other spiritual person, then you are off the hook of all other spiritual duties. I don't know how many times I've talked to somebody about their soul, handed them a gospel track, and said, are you on your way to heaven? And they said, my daddy's a preacher. My uncle's a duomini. My aunt is a nun. But listen, that doesn't help you get right with the Lord. Just because Mary is your mother doesn't make you any, anything more or less. What it comes down to is what you personally do with the Word of God. And in this, in this way, we can talk today about the most blessed thing you can do. Take your Bible, come to Luke chapter 1. The most blessed thing you can do. Somebody might get the idea that, well, Mary was a special case. I will never live up to that. No one's asking you to. I seriously doubt anybody last night had a visitation by the angel Gabriel asking you to allow the Holy Spirit to overshadow you so that the Christ could be born, right? Who's ever going to experience that? And and sometimes we get it in our heads that we have to have some unique, strange, once-off experience that no one else has ever had in order to be blessed or special or used of God. And that's not the case. I want you to see in the life of Mary, although she is a very special lady in the Bible, she's special not just because she gave birth to Jesus. Her spiritual life was not limited to that one event. She was blessed for something much more basic than that. Let me show you what I mean. In verse number 38, Luke chapter 1 and verse 38, there are some things you can learn from Mary. So now the angel has come and said, you're going to have the Holy Spirit come upon you, and then he'll overshadow you. The Son of God will come from your womb. In verse 38, Mary said, behold, the handmaid of the Lord. You know why Mary had this unique privilege? She'd already been serving the Lord for years. She was already a chaste and upright woman. She was already living her life according to the Bible. Look at the next thing that she says. Be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. How did Mary approach life? God, if this is you doing this in my life, if this is what you're asking me to do, regardless of how big this thing is, because this is pretty big, no matter how big it is, no matter what the change is, no matter how this is going to affect my life, my testimony, Mary knew that this is going to perhaps disrupt her relationship with Joseph. How does she come and explain to her soon-to-be husband, I'm with child, and trust me, God did it. 
How do you have that conversation? But Mary said, I know this is going to be difficult, but if this is the word of God, if this is something that God told me to do, be it unto me according to thy word. That is what a servant of the Lord does. That, my friend, is the most blessed thing you can do, is hear the word of God and keep it. That is what Mary did. Take your Bible, look at uh, John chapter 2. John chapter 2, Mary's experience with God was not limited to just this miraculous conception and birth. When Jesus was 12, remember he went back to the temple while the family was heading back home. Mary and Joseph seek for Jesus for three days. They find him in the temple. Mary asked Jesus, what hast thou done to us? Why would you do this? And Jesus says, didst thou not know that I must be about my father's business? Mary learned that Jesus was there for the Father's business, not for her business. She learned that doing the Word of God, the will of God, that was more important than even a family tie. It's more important than making family members happy. Doing the Father's business, that was the chief goal of life. John chapter 2, Jesus is now grown. He's about 30 years old. He's at the wedding in, in Cana of Galilee. Mary, in verse number three, the, the, the wedding feast was running short of wine. The mother of Jesus saith unto him, they have no wine. Verse four, Jesus saith unto her, woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. Why? Because she must be about, or I'm sorry, he must be about his father's business, not his mother's business. This isn't time for him to take orders from mom. It's time for him to take orders from dad. From his father. In verse 5, his mother saith unto the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. That might be the best advice you'll ever get. Isn't it simple but profound? That's the way you live life. Whatever Jesus says, do it. I want to live my life according to his words. Jesus said that if you build your house upon the rock, the saying of his words, that whatever comes against the house, it's not going to fall. It's not, he didn't say you won't take a beating. He just said you wouldn't fall. And Mary's house, her life was built upon whatever God told me to do, that's what I want to do. That is the most blessed thing. It's the smartest thing you could possibly do. Hear the word of God and then keep it. So back in Luke chapter 11, you're welcome to hold that in one hand if you'd like. I'm not sure how much we'll be referring back to it because in Luke 11, today's sermon is very simple. I have two short points for you. One is hear the word of God, and the other is do it. <laughs> I don't need to dress that up, do I? I mean, it's pretty straightforward. The most blessed thing you can do is hear the word of God and then keep it or do it. So I'm going to ask you to turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 1. You're welcome to keep Luke if you want to refer back, but Hebrews chapter 1. And first, we'll talk for a few minutes about God speaking to us, hearing the word of God. It is true that as you look around this great world and universe that God has made, does the heavens, don't the heavens declare the glory of God? I mean, when you look at His handiwork, when you look inward at your, just your physical form, we're fearfully and wonderfully made, yes? We see the fingerprint of God all around us all the time. And then whenever we are faced with a challenging decision, we are reminded that the work of the law is written in our hearts. We have creation 
we have a conscience that always points to the idea that we did not create ourselves. We didn't come here by accident. There is a God out there who has finely tuned the universe and finely tuned your heart so that you can seek after the Lord and find him. Now, these general revelations from God, conscience and creation, they're available to everybody. But from time to time, God will offer special revelation. He will say something to people, and this special revelation allows us to know Him personally. The reason I want to emphasize that is because that is why you were made. You were made not merely to give Him glory, not merely to serve Him, although those two things are high on the list of privileges. But I think the highest of all is the created purpose we have to know God, to have a personal, intimate, close relationship with Him. And that only comes about, friend, by you being mindful of what He has said. You can only know so much about me by observing me from a distance. The only way to truly get to know me on a deep, intimate level is for us to sit down and talk. And you ask questions and I give answers and I offer information. And the more information you have about me, the better you can know me. We were made to walk with God. And in order to walk with God, you have to have some faith because we can't see God, right? But God does offer information about himself. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It is possible to walk with God because he has made information about himself available to us. In the earliest days of humanity, of course, God walked with Adam in the garden. Adam was able to pass on personal knowledge about God, word of mouth. If you look at the dates in the Bible, Adam died at the age of 930. He almost overlapped with Noah. Guys, that's several generations later. Because they lived so long, Adam was able to pass down firsthand knowledge about God to several different generations. But then as men begin to multiply on the earth, God began to reveal himself in various ways. Sometimes he did use a dream or a vision. At other times, he would speak to people through a prophet. Do you guys remember who the first prophet of the Bible was? The one that we know about is Enoch. God, the Bible tells us that Enoch was a prophet. He actually prophesied about the second coming of Christ. He was the first one to do so. Noah was a prophet. He was a preacher of righteousness. But listen to this. Enoch was a Gentile. Noah was a Gentile. These men had fellowship with him. They were able to pass on the message, whatever God had communicated to them. Abraham was a prophet, the Bible says. Genesis chapter 20, he spoke to Abimelech, a Gentile. He was able to... Speak to him about what God had told him. This is what prophecy is. It's passing on the word of God. Gentiles from the beginning had access to these special revelations from the Lord. We even find some men. How many of you remember Balaam in the book of Numbers? You know the Bible never calls him a prophet. I think smartly so. But I'll tell you this. Balak wanted to curse the children of Israel. He said, call me Balaam. Because I know whoever Balaam blesses is blessed. Whoever Balaam curses is cursed. Balaam operated more like a witch doctor. But when Balaam showed up and listened to Balak's request, the Bible says God spake to Balaam. So I, I dare not say that Balaam was a faithful mouthpiece for the Lord. 
Let's not go that far. But God was able to communicate a special piece of knowledge through him to those people. And that knowledge was, I am not going to curse these people of Israel. They're my people. They're blessed. Now, Balaam was corrupted through the love of money, like a lot of false prophets are these days. So we dare not put him on the list as reliable, but, but God is able to reveal special things at special times. We read in the book of Job, Job had access to the words of God. He didn't have a Bible, but he had access to the words of God. Listen to what Job said. He said, neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. How unique, how special. What a great privilege to have the words of God. God had communicated something to Job, and Job said, I think those words that came from God are more important than my food. I don't know a whole lot of people that can say the same thing truthfully these days. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. As time went on, God began to reveal more and more. Eventually, we get to Moses. This is the first time that God had commanded anything to be written down. Did you folks know that before Moses ever wrote anything, God wrote? Did you know that? Moses eventually writes down what we have as Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. But the first person to write was God. God said, Moses, come up on the mount. Have a seat. Called the angelic host around. He said, now... Let me pull forth my heavenly chisel, which is to say my finger. (laughs) And the Bible says that God wrote with his finger on the tablets the Ten Commandments. The first person to write down the words of God was God himself. Because this would become the surest way to communicate the words of God was through the written word. In the Bible, we have a word for that. The written words of God are, are called scripture, script, writing. God was the first one to do it. He handed the tablets to Moses. What happened right after that? Do you guys remember? Moses came down Mount Sinai. He saw the people had gone to seed. They're out there worshiping idols, the golden calf, dancing around naked to the rock and roll music that they had going. And God said, look at your people that you brought out of Egypt. I like how God shifted the blame to to Moses. Look at your people. What did Moses do? Moses had the written word of God for all of what, 30 minutes? Maybe less? He comes down the mountain, he throws them down and crash. That tells a story of how mankind treats the privilege of having the written word of God. Boy, that tells a story. Jesus said, you want to be blessed? You don't have to be my mother to be blessed. You don't have to have some unique, strange backstory. In order to be blessed, the most blessed thing you can do is hear the Word of God and keep it. So I think it's very right to make a big deal out of having the Word of God. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse number 3. Hebrews, uh, I'm sorry, verses 1 down to 3. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1. God who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. This is a very good summation of the entire Old Testament. How many of you remember this little phrase? I've used it many times. God speaks to different people at different times in different ways. Did you know, I I took that out of Hebrews 1 verse 1. God, who at sundry times, was that different times, and in diverse manners, was that different ways, 
spake in time past unto the fathers, different people, by the prophets. God has communicated through several men. We have a collection of their work. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Hosea, Daniel, Job, all of those. We have it. Verse 2, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. All these prophets that stood up and said, thus saith the Lord. You know what each generation did when a man stood up and said, thus saith the Lord? They went, ah, nonsense, that can't be God. They didn't know it until about 50 years, 100 years later, they looked back and went, boy, that was the word of God. It's strange how mankind constantly despises what God is trying to tell them. It's been that way since Genesis 3 when the devil showed up and said, Yea, hath God said. And he tried to undermine humanity's faith in what God had said. They had heard the word of God and they didn't keep it. Genesis chapter 3, and that's our story from that moment forward. God speaks and humanity despises, takes it lightly. Jesus said the most blessed thing you can do is hear the word of God and keep it. That's a big deal. In these last days, God sent prophet after prophet after prophet. And now he sends his only begotten son. The word who was with God, who was God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us and has declared God to us. You can't have it any better. Imagine what a privilege to have Jesus right there in the house telling you what God wants you to know. Telling you about the Father. Hath in these last days, verse 2, spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. I love that. He created the universe, and then he came down here, wrapped in the flesh of humanity, and begins to speak. In verse 3, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. All things are held together. Do you see it there? All things are upheld, upholding all things by the what? By the word of his power. Do you know what's going to hold your life together? The word. That's what's going to uphold you up. The word of his power. Jesus speaks What happens as soon as Jesus dies and goes back to sit at the right hand of the majesty on high? His last command was, go be witnesses unto me. The apostles begin to go out. They go as far and as fast as they can. The other disciples, they start going off. And before you know it, within the first century, the word of God had reached all throughout Europe, all the way over to China. India and China, all the way down into Africa, the word of God had spread spread quickly. The Bible says the word of the Lord runneth swiftly. (laughs) It says in 2 Timothy, it's not bound. It just goes and it goes and it goes because once you know that God has said something and you're convinced this was God speaking to you, that's a big deal. How can you not run and tell somebody else, hey, God told me this. You know what those early Christians started to do? They started to write it down. Those apostles begin to write down what Jesus had said because the surest form of communication is Scripture. All Scripture, the written Word of God, all Scripture is given by inspiration and is profitable for doctrine, for correction, for reproof, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Why? Because the most blessed thing you can do is hear the Word of God and keep it. 
So God was very careful to say, guys, I've sent my son. Now write down what you learned from him so that everybody from this generation forward has access to it. Because this is what will develop the relationship between me and mankind. Jesus said, listen to this, search the scriptures. That is a command from the one who made the world. The express image of God's person said, search the scriptures. You can't do that if you don't have them. So God has been very careful not only to inspire them when they were written, but to preserve them so that you and I can continue to search the scriptures. So may I ask you a simple question? Are you obedient to that command? Do you search the scriptures looking for ways that you can know God better? Search the scriptures, Jesus said. Jesus spoke, the apostles wrote, Christians copied, and today we have the word of God so that we can hear it. I would like to read you just a short excerpt from a book. Please listen closely. This is a story of one of your spiritual forefathers. His name was Timothy. He was an African. I want you to listen closely to this story. Timothy, a deacon of Mauritania. Do we know where that's at? Western Africa, over, by, over on the coast next to Senegal. Timothy, a deacon of Mauritania, and Mora, his wife, had not been united together by the bands of wedlock above three weeks, married for three weeks, when they were separated from each other by the persecution. This was happening in 304 AD in the days of Diocletian. Timothy, being apprehended as a Christian, was carried before Arrhenus, the governor of Phoebus. This is over where we would think of Ethiopia now, who, knowing that he had, listen to this, knowing that he had the keeping of the Holy Scriptures, commanded him to, be de to deliver them up to be burned. You understand, the governor says, you're the one in that church who's responsible for keeping the Scripture. Only one man in the whole church had any part of the Bible. And they didn't have the whole Bible. They would have a few pages. Maybe the book of Ephesians. Maybe the book of Timothy or Titus. Just a very small portion. This young man, Timothy was responsible for holding on to those few pages. Now the governor says, give them over. We're going to burn them. Timothy answered with this. Had I children, I would sooner deliver them up to be sacrificed than part with the word of God. I want to give that to you again. And I want you to put yourself in that position. Do you have this... Are you keeping the Holy Scriptures in your hands right now? Do you have them? Are you holding them? Do you have a Bible? If you were in 304 AD, this might have been the challenge to you. Give them up. Give it to me. We're going to burn them. Had I children, I would sooner deliver them up to be sacrificed than part with the Word of God. The governor, being much incensed at this reply, ordered his eyes to be put out with red-hot irons, saying, the books shall at least be useless to you, for you shall not see to read them. His patience under the operation was so great that the governor grew more exasperated. They put his eyes out, but he didn't cry. 
He didn't fight back. The governor, this angered him. He, therefore, the governor, in order, if possible, to overcome his fortitude, ordered him to be hung up by his feet with a weight tied about his neck and a gag in his mouth. You have the picture in your mind? In this state, Mora, his wife, been married three weeks. In this state, Mora, his wife, tenderly urged him for her sake to recant. So just, just listen, give it up. Stop. But when the gag was taken out of his mouth, instead of consenting to his wife's entreaties, he greatly blamed her mistaken love and declared his resolution of dying for the faith. The consequence was that Mora resolved to imitate his courage and fidelity and either to accompany or follow him to glory. The governor, after trying in vain to alter her resolution, ordered her to be tortured which was executed with great severity. After this, Timothy and Mora were crucified near each other in 304 A.D. Now, folks, I want you to get the picture in your, hand, in, in your mind here. One generation after another has handed the Word of God, handed the Word of God. This, hand, this book is covered with bloody handprints and bloody fingerprints. It's a tear-stained book. It's been held and hugged and protected by multitudes of Christians, and now it is handed to you. I'm talking about the most blessed thing you can imagine. God has put a copy of His words in your hands. We are not being challenged this morning to hang from our feet endure torture and die on a cross just because we have a few pages of the Bible. Praise the Lord. But I do think that we are being challenged today just like Timothy's resolve. I am not going to give up my Bible. This drove his wife to say, let me imitate that. May our devotion to the Word of God also move the people around us to say if the Bible means that much to him or to her. Might, might your children be moved, mom and dad, by your example to say, Mom and Pa love the Bible so much, let me also begin to read it and find out what's so special about it. Why do I find my dad weeping over his Bible in the morning? Why do I find my mom on her knees praying over a Bible? What's so special? May we move the next generation as we hand the Bible off to them to say we have had the privilege of living by God's Word and it changed us. May we have the attitude of Samuel who was given the advice by Eli the high priest. When you feel God is speaking to you, the right answer is to say, speak Lord, thy servant heareth. Oh, may we have ears to hear what the Spirit has to say. And brother, sister, he speaks to you daily through your Bible. The most blessed thing you can do, part of it, is hearing the Word of God. But that's not it. That's not all there is to it. Are you in Hebrews? Can I ask you to turn to chapter 2, please? Hebrews chapter 2. It's one thing to have the Word of God, to hear the Word of God. 
but you're taking things to another level when you begin to do the Word of God. I've told you a couple of stories not too long ago about me in my middle school days and my vain attempts to find a girlfriend. I hate to go back to those stories for several reasons, but let me one, give you one that I think is remotely connected today. When I was about 14 in middle school, I would write a note to a girl. This happened a few times, actually. I'd write a note, and in the note, hello, I'm Mike Flick, a few introductory remarks. Here's who I am. I have these classes, and yada, yada. I didn't put yada, yada in the note, but you understand, yada, yada. And then at the bottom, you know, there was this, the big question, the big one. Will you go with me? I don't even know what that means, really, but will you go with me? And then I'd, you know, you decorate it so that you're trying to lure her in. You decorate it, you know, you draw two boxes at the bottom, yes or no, and it, please check one. And, and hopefully, hopefully the note, the idea was I would get the note back with the check mark of yes and all as well. It never worked. Not one time, I think I tried it maybe three or four times, not one time did I ever get a note back, which, which means no. <laughs> At one point, one young lady, when she's, she saw me coming down the hallway, we were going to different classes, she actually ran to the other side of the hallway and hid behind some friends just to avoid talking to me because I had made her so uncomfortable with this awkward note of, will you go with me? Check yes, check no. Isn't that awkward? Isn't it, it, are, don't we do some strange things when we're young? Uh, some of you older guys probably try that still as well. People at work, you know. <laughs> Give me a thumbs up in an in a SMS if you're with me or something. <laughs> we do some strange things. Listen, you know, this book, this isn't some silly childish note scrabbled together by a walking bag of overactive hormones. <laughs> this book, carefully cobbled together by holy men as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And, and I, I dare, that's why I say I, I dare, I don't want to make you think that it's something tedious and silly like handing a note to a girl and saying, will you go with me? That's so small and petty, meaningless, a blip on the radar of my life. But, but what, what you have here, guys, do you understand this is God handing you a note about himself, telling you everything you need to know about him, and then he makes the offer clear, will you walk with me? Yes or no? You have to make that decision. Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And some people have left him knocking outside that door for how many weeks has it been now? How many months has it been for some of you? How many years has he been standing outside waiting for you to respond to what you've been hearing from the word? The note has carefully, generation to generation, been passed down to you. Now you look at the note. You know what some people do? They read the note. It's super clear to them. This is what Jesus wants from me. This is how I walk with God. You know what they do? As soon as they see the preacher coming, as soon as they see a church service coming, as soon as someone tries to hand them a gospel tract, they run to the other side of the hallway and go, I don't want to talk about that. They want to avoid that conversation. Why? Because they don't like what was in the note. Mark Twain said it very well years ago, that famous American author. 
He was an infidel himself. He didn't believe the Bible. But he was very true about this. He was very right. He said, it's not the parts of the Bible that I don't understand that bother me. It's the parts of the Bible I do understand that bother me. People say the Bible is difficult to understand. It's hard to read. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 8, it's plain. It's plain. Thou shalt not steal. Is that difficult? (laughs) Thou shalt not kill. Please don't make me explain that to you. I'm not saying there's not a deep thing or two in the Bible. I'm just saying it's not nearly as difficult as people make out. You can do something with what you've heard. In Hebrews chapter 2, in verse number 1, there's a comparison that has been made between Jesus and the angels, and the outcome was Jesus is so much better than the angels. And then this leads into chapter 2. There's a comparison between the law, which was the word given to Moses with the help of those angels on the top of Mount Sinai. So there's a comparison of the words that came from the angels and Moses compared with the words that came from Jesus. Hebrews 2 verse 1, Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. Hang on to it. I don't want to let it slip out of my hands. I'm going to hold on to that. Verse 2, for if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, this is the law now, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward. This is true in the Old Testament. If you broke a law, there was a very strict punishment. If you committed adultery, you died. If you picked up sticks on the Sabbath day, you died. Yeah. Yeah. If you lit a fire, if you bride on the Sabbath, you die. That's under the law. That's how serious they took those words. Verse 3, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? If the law of Moses was taken seriously, how much more seriously should we take the words of Jesus Christ who came to fulfill that law? He is the fulfillment. He is the end of it. How serious should we take it? How are we going to escape the punishment of God if we don't listen to what Jesus said? How few people in history have had the opportunity, we have the privilege. How, how well off are we? How fortunate are we? We have the words. You know what Israel did with these words? The Bible says in, Hebrew, in Isaiah chapter 5, they cast the law behind their back. At one point in Israel's history, they lost their Bible. Did you know that? I, I, I don't know. I don't know how many of you had to look around in your house for your Bible this morning. Maybe it was stashed away somewhere. I went into a pastor's office in town here a few years back, and we were having a conversation about a biblical topic. He said, hang on, hang on, let me get my Bible. I sat there for five minutes while he looked for it. He found it in the third drawer under several other books. Israel also lost their Bible for a while, and when they found it again, the exclamation was, I have found the book. And King Josiah read it to the entire nation, and it brought about revival. The Bible tells us in the book of Hosea, 
God spoke to the nation of Israel and said this, listen closely, I have written to him the great things of my law, but they were counted as a strange thing. People had the book right there, and they said, now what's that about? You want us to live by the Bible? What's, but this, is, this isn't how we do it. We have our traditions. We have our own ways. Why would we do it this way? It was counted as a strange thing. Folks, I hope the Bible's not a strange thing in your home. I hope it's not a strange thing in your life. One time a pastor went to visit a family, and they sat down in the pastor as you guys say, and they were having, you know, everybody's ready. The pastor came in. They were talking nice. And, and the mom looked over at the, one, of the, one of the kids, the little daughter, and said, uh, sweetie, go in the other room and get that book that the family loves so much. Now, she meant the Bible, but she just said, get the book that the family loves so much. And that daughter came trotting back in with the TV guide. <laughs> See, the, the Bible can become a strange thing in a home where it's not used. Where it's used as a decoration, but it's never opened. I'm going to end this on a very practical note. I'd like to challenge you with something. And I hope that the Holy Spirit puts his finger on something in your heart this morning as you hear this. When I say hear the word of God and keep it, that's a very broad statement, isn't it? Right? I mean, how many things are there in the Bible? There's, there's lots of things to do. So you need to read it daily and find out today what does God want you to do. But I want to just give you a, a quick list of some things you'll find in the Bible. The Bible speaks about praying for your enemies. Have you done that lately? The Bible speaks about loving your spouse. Have you made an active effort to do that? Say, Pastor, my spouse is my enemy. Well, this is a twofer. <laughs> you, you can pray and love her. <laughs> Two birds and one stone. The Bible says that you should enjoy your children and train your children. You should do both. Moms and dads, do you make an active effort at training them in the way they should go and enjoying them? The Bible talks several things about your job, but can I summarize it by saying you should work your job with the right attitude, as unto the Lord and not unto men. Do you, when you wake up and go to work, make that active effort to say, today I'm going to do my job the way God wants me to do it? The Bible tells us to be thankful instead of complaining. Take a moment, just think back through the week. What have you done more of? Thanking or complaining? The Bible tells us to be careful to maintain good works. So again, I challenge you to think back in recent memory, when's the last time you went out of your way to do some good work for someone else? The Bible says that we should pay our bills on time. Just thought I'd put that out there. I, can feel, I don't even need the fan anymore. There's a chill that came over the room when I said that. Pay your bills. The Bible says that you should do what you say you're going to do. Let your yea be yea and your nay be nay. Be a, be a person, be a man of your word, be a woman of your word. The Bible says you are commanded to be filled with the Spirit. 
It's a command. Have you actively tried? Have you went to God in the morning and said, God, today, this is my responsibility. You've told me to do it. I'm yielding to you. Please fill me. That's how you get filled, by the way, is to yield to the Holy Spirit and let him control each part of you. Thus, you are filled. You are commanded to sing and make melody in your heart to the Lord. Have you done it? Blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. You're not going to be happy until you do it. Listen to this quick list. I looked up the word yourselves because these are things you can do. You have to do it. Listen, the Bible commands us to humble ourselves, submit ourselves, yield ourselves, examine ourselves, comfort yourselves, be at peace among yourselves, withdraw yourselves from bad company and bad teaching, build up yourselves on your most holy faith. And the, the Bible is careful to tell us, don't deceive yourselves. Because in James chapter 1, it says, be ye doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. The most special, happy, blessed thing you can do is hear the Word of God and apply it. That's what was so special about Mary. That's the fundamental thinking that got her that great privilege of doing something special for the Lord is, Lord, if you said it, be it unto me according to your Word. You today can do the most blessed thing a man, a woman can do. God, whatever you're telling me to do right now, I want to do it. Let's all stand. Let's all stand. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Let's take a few minutes to think about what we've heard. Heads bowed, eyes closed. The pianist will come. As she plays, I want you to go over it in your mind. What is it? that the Lord has been dealing with you about that you need to do. When you read your Bible, you should search for something to do. I, I do think you have achieved something if you've sat down to read it. I, I do. But understand, that's, that's not the whole show. I think you have achieved something if you've come to church. If you listen through the sermon, you've heard the word. That's not a bad thing. But folks, if that's where it stops, I don't think we can call you blessed. Not fully. why there's a good chance that if you have determined in your heart that you're not going to do what God told you to do, you're not going to go out of here blessed or fortunate. You'll go out burdened and frustrated. You certainly won't feel like coming back again to hear more of it. You'll be stuck right there where God said, I want you to do that. Now for some of you, God's been telling you that it's time to get saved. Jesus said, you must be born again.
How about today? We, we stop putting that off. The most blessed thing you'll ever do is say, Lord, you told me that you were the way, the truth, and the life. Today, I'm trusting my soul in your hands. You said that you're the door, and if I go through that door, I'd be saved. So, Lord, please save me today. We'll just take a couple more moments to pray. Some have come. If you need to come, do it. If God's tapping on your heart, react, respond. If you'd like to get saved, why don't you come down here now? We'll take you aside privately. We won't make it a a public thing. We're not trying to embarrass you. You come on down here now. We'll take you aside privately. And somebody will help you. Any questions you might have so that you can receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. Would you come? This is your chance. Hey, I'll make it simple for you. What do you think God wants you to do? You think God wants you to come down here and get saved? I don't know why God would want you to wait. people what a blessing to have the word of God Father how can we ever thank you enough for revealing yourself to us you declared yourself to us through your son you showed us how you feel about us and then Lord you gave us a record of it help us Lord to hold this Bible tightly Let it not be a strange thing to us. Please, Lord, let it guide every decision we make, every thought, every word. Father, those that came, those that you've dealt with this morning, the decisions that were made, Father, help us to be faithful, to follow through on these things, to do what you've said. Dismiss us with your blessing. Thank you for spending time with us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Folks, thank you for being here this morning. Be back tonight, 5.30.